0: Hi there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Now, I realize I spend probably an obscene amount of time talking about lots of exotic aquatic habitats, particularly those seasonally inundated forest floors and stuff like that. However, when you think about all the inspiring types of aquatic habitats or ecological niches that we have to model our aquariums after, it's interesting that I probably don't talk enough about one of the most obvious ones, the stream. Now, the definition of a stream is a body of water flowing in a channel or watercourse as a river, rivulet, or brook. I guess that's kind of helpful, right? And, of course, these little bodies of water flow often flow through jungled areas where they are bound to pick up some leaves, twigs, and other plant parts as they, you know, wind along their path. Leaves, of course, are the jumping-off point of our botanical obsession, and they form a very important part of these stream habitats. Now, it's known by science that leaf litter—I know you're going, why does it always go back to leaf litter, Scott? <laughs> but it's known by science that the leaf litter in the community of aquatic animals that it hosts, according to one study, is of great importance in assimilating energy from forest primary production into the blackwater aquatic system. Yep, there goes Fellman again. So, leaf accumulations also function as a means to preserve the nutrients that would otherwise be lost in the forest, which would inevitably occur if all the material which fell into the streams was simply washed downstream. That's a pretty important ecological role, isn't it? The fishes, the crustaceans, the insects that live in leaf litter and feed on fungi detritus and decomposing leaves themselves found in the streams are really important to the overall habitat. Now, streams are not only fascinating from an ecological perspective, they're interesting when you explore their composition, their formation, and what influences their function and gradual evolution over time. Hint, a big part of this is substrate. Yeah, like what's on the bottom. And how does that influence the overall ecology of the stream? And how do we work with the stuff in our aquariums? Well, again, it's back to the bottom for a little bit. Now, one of the things that I've always found a bit interesting in our aquarium aquascaping work is that many of us just sort of seem to apply a little, little thought to the substrate in our aquariums. I mean, sure, some of us might select some certain sands or whatever. Uh, and if you're a planted aquarium geek, you'll spend a pretty large amount of time, you know, creating an active bottom composed of fertilizers, aquatic sands, stuff like that. But most of us, quite honestly, just tend to find a substrate that we think looks good, go with it, wash it, throw it on the bottom, smooth it out, and move on to the other more interesting aspects of aquascaping. Done, you know? Now sure, a few competition scapers will play with contours a bit as they arrange the rock and I'm thinking about like the Iwagumi kind of people. Um, However, this is more of a design aspect than an attempt to replicate the bottom of a stream or other body of water as it appears in nature seems that very little attention is paid by the majority of hobbyists to the bottom of streams and rivers as they appear in nature and how the substrate actually works with the overall environment. Now, I admit I've been kind of guilty of this myself, and it's only been really recently that I've given more than a passing thought to what goes on down there in nature, especially streams and rivers. It's a lot more interesting when you examine the subject more closely, especially from the perspective of how these structures came to be and what implications they have for fish populations. It's all cool stuff. Not sure, you know my obsession with varying substrate compositions and enhancement of the substrate. You've likely seen some of my recent work with different materials and leaves, botanicals, clays, sediments, stuff like that I've been sharing. It's an idea that I just can't seem to get away from. It's really interesting. However, the physical composition of the substrate materials is just one aspect of these really interesting systems. Stream and river bottom composition is also affected by things like regional weather, current geology, the surrounding dry lands, and a host of other factors, all of which can make planning your next aquarium even more interesting if you take them into consideration. If we focus on streams, it's important to notice that the volume of water entering the stream and the depth of the channels it carves out helps in part determine the amount and size of sediment particles that can be carried along and thus comprise the substrate. And of course, The composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream. That also affects the composition and ecology in many ways. Some leaf litter beds form in what stream ecologists call meanders, which are stream structures that form when moving water in a stream erodes the outer banks and widens its valley, and the inner part of the river has less energy and deposits silt or, in our instance, leaves on the bottom. There's a whole fascinating science to river and stream structure and with so many implications for understanding how these structures and mechanisms affect fish population, occurrence, behavior, and ecology, it's well worth studying from an aquarium perspective. Did you get that part where I mentioned that the lower energy part of the water courses tend to accumulate leaves and sediments and stuff? Yeah, you probably did because if you're into leaves like I am, you get it. Now, permanent streams will often have different volume and material composition, usually finer packed sands and gravels with lots of smooth stones than the more intermittent streams, which are the result of inundation caused by rain. So the so-called ephemeral streams typically occur only immediately after rain events, which means they usually don't have fish in them unless they're washed into them from a more permanent water course. Those latter two stream types are typically more affected by leaves, botanical debris, and branches and other materials than different types of streams. In the Amazon region, and yes, you knew I was headed back there, it sort of works both ways, with the rivers influencing the surrounding land and the land giving some of the materials back to the rivers. The extensive lowland areas bordering the river and its tributaries, known as varzeas, also called floodplains, are subject to annual flooding, which helps foster enrichment of the aquatic environment. Although many streams derive their food base from leaves and other organic matter, there's a lot of other material present that contributes to its structure. Think along those lines when you're scheming out your next aquarium. Ask yourself, what factors would contribute to the bottom composition in the area you're taking inspiration from? You'll see a variety of bottom compositions in Amazonian and other streams, ranging from the aforementioned leaves and detritus in stream margins to silt and cobbles to boulders covered in algae to even fine patch gravels and even just plain old silt. You might even say that rivers and streams act like nature's sort of sediment sorting machines as they move debris, geological materials, and botanicals along their courses. And along the way, varying ecological communities are assembled with all sorts of different fishes being attracted to different niches. This is, like, really fascinating. You can create a different niche from just a different part of one river. Interestingly, in streams, the primary producers of the food webs that attract our fishes are, you guessed it, algae and diatoms, which are typically found on rocks and wood whenever light nutrients create optimum conditions for their growth. Organic material that enters, you know, the streams via leaf fall or leaf drop is generally acted on by small organisms, which help break it down. So it's probably no surprise then that the bacteria, and of course biofilms, and fungi are the initial consumers of organic materials that accumulate on the bottom. Like the stuff many of us loathe, right? Those in turn, however, are extremely vital to fishes as a food source. Hence one of the things I love so much about utilizing leaf litter uh, as a big part of your substrate composition in the aquarium is this accumulation. Streams which flow over stony, open bottoms, free of natural obstacles like tree trunks and stuff tend to develop a real big, rich algae turf on their surfaces. Now, while that's not something a whole lot of hobbyists want to see in their tanks, with the exception of maybe the Mbuna guys and true weirdos like me, algae-covered stones and rocks are entirely natural and appropriate for the bottom of many aquariums if you're trying to represent a specific biotope. Now, enter that with you know, tank in the next international aquascaping contest and see the judges just freak out on it, right? Algae-covered rocks, that would be very interesting. Of course, grazing fishes will, of course, feed on these algal films, and it would be a logical choice for a stony-bottom-themed aquarium, and I'm kind of almost thinking of like, you know, a fast-moving stream with algae with uh, kerosidium species darters from South America, the darter kerosens, that would be really cool, and hillstream loaches and stuff like that from Asia. When we think about the way natural fish communities are assembled in rivers and streams, it's almost always as a result of adaptations to the physical environment and food sources. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, but yeah... Now, not everybody wants to have algae-covered stones or a massive decomposing leaves on the bottom of their tank. I get it. However, I think that considering the role that these materials play in the composition of streams and the lives of the fishes which inhabit them is really important, and it's entirely consistent with our goal of creating the most natural, effective aquariums for the animals that we keep. As a hobbyist, you can employ elements of these natural systems in a variety of aquariums using any number of readily available materials to do the job. Look at natural pi- pictures of the natural habitats, look at the way rocks, soil, and branches come together in streams. They form these interesting physical spaces that fishes use for protection, for foraging, and for reproduction. By replicating the complex look and physical attributes of these features, including the rich substrate, the roots of various thicknesses and leaves, we offer our fishes all sorts of potential microhabitats. In the aquarium, we tend to focus more on the macro level, creating a nice wood stack, perhaps incorporating some rock, but we seldom allow the whole picture to come together in a more natural way. That's what inspired me in the last few aquariums that I did, is thinking about all those little niches that occur from just one little aggregation of material. Now, the interaction between the terrestrial elements and the aquatic ones is fascinating to me. So allowing terrestrial leaves to accumulate naturally among the tree root structure we've created fosters this more natural functioning environment as well. As these leaves begin to soften and ultimately break down, they'll foster microbial growth, biofilms, and fungal growth, all of which provide supplemental food sources for the resident fishes, just like what happens in nature. We've talked about this many times, right? So facilitating these processes, allowing the materials to accumulate naturally and break down in situ, is a key component of replicating and supporting these microhabitats in our aquariums. The typical aquarium hardscape, artistic and beautiful as it might be, generally replicates the most superficial aspects of such, you know, uh, habitats on an aesthetic basis, and it tends to overlook their function and the reasons why such habitats form in the first place. When you contemplate the form, function, and evolution which occurs in streams, you can really push yourself and try some new things in the aquarium. Now, there's obviously so much more to streams than the sands, branches, and leaves that accumulate them, and there's so much more we, we could look into and more than I could ever discuss in this little podcast however it's important to consider all of these aspects if we really want to understand these habitats from a different perspective and that'll lead to all sorts of interesting developments in aquascaping and breeding and all kinds of things we literally have an entire planet of amazing habitats from which to draw inspiration which in my opinion is far more interesting and inspiring than last month's tank of the month or whatever then again i'm a guy whose idea of a cool aquascape involves brown water you know decomposing leaves biofilms and piles of seed pods so what the hell do i know right (laughs) <laughs> Until next time, though, I hope that you look deeper and enjoy the research when you're doing it. If you're hungry for a little inspiration, look to nature. She won't disappoint. Stay curious. Stay inspired. Stay excited. Stay creative. Stay adventurous. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.